Lord, we do ask for you to send the power of your spirit upon this congregation that we would hear with ears to hear. And that, Lord, you'd give us a heart willing and desirous of obeying, putting into practice the truth of your word concerning how you would have us to use our time for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, church, let's begin with reading Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. This will be our opening text for this morning. Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Okay, how do we live or walk wisely? He tells us in verse 16, by making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish. The foolish person is the one who doesn't make the most of his time. But instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is to make the most of your time. So he's talking about being wise and understanding the will of the Lord. The wise thing is to make the most of your time. The will of the Lord is to make the most of your time because the days are evil. And the reason, of course, that I have um, embraced this topic for today is because New Year's is Wednesday. And every New Year's, we start thinking about, oh, another whole year has passed. 2019 is just about over. 2020, a brand new year, is just about ready to start. And we start thinking again about how fast time is passing. And I've been doing that. I have computed that I have lived over 22,000 days in my life now. Oh, wow. really? And that's a lot of days, 22,000. But that's, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I, that computes to over 525,000 hours, which computes to 31 and a half million minutes or almost 2 billion seconds. 2 billion seconds. And I just turned 60 years old, August 29th, which to me was a super big deal because when I was a kid, I thought, man, if you got to be 60, you're really old. And here I am. Man, I'm really old. And if, if my life is an hourglass, most of the, those sands are gone. I might have 25% of the hourglass left. Three-fourths has disappeared and just a little bit's left. What do I have to show with the time God has given me while I'm on this earth? That's the kind of question I'm asking. And that's the kind of question we should all be asking this morning. We either please God with the way we use our time or we displease God when we squander the time that he has given to us. The great issue is this, will we use our time to glorify God or will we shamefully squander this precious gift that God has given to each one of us? And so this morning, I wanna stir you up to do three things. Number one, consider the preciousness of time. Number two, remember that you're gonna give an account for the use of your time. And number three, choose carefully how you will spend your time. And I hope this is not just listening to a sermon and going home and forgetting what you heard. I, I really, really hope that God will impress upon your heart that we need to take action based on his word today. We need to make new decisions, new habit patterns based on what he reveals to us in scripture. So first of all, I want you to consider the preciousness of your time. And in December of 1734, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled Preciousness of Time. 
And I'm going to give you four of the different bullet points that he, he gave in that sermon, just to get your mind spinning and get the gears flowing. Uh, Edwards made four different points. Number one, he said, time is precious because a happy or miserable eternity depends on the improvement of it. It's precious because a happy or miserable eternity depends on the improvement of it. Something is precious depending on the degree in which it concerns your welfare. The greater the evil or the good, the more precious that thing is that removes the evil or gains the good. Amen? You see that? So time is precious because by it you can escape everlasting misery and you can obtain everlasting happiness if you improve the time that God has given you while you are on this earth. That's why it's precious. The things that hang in the balance are so great that time is so precious because it's only through the use of time that you can gain everlasting life or you can forfeit everlasting life. It's what you do during this lifetime that will make a difference. Number two, time is precious because it is very short. The scarcity of anything increases the value of that thing. It's the old supply and demand kind of a thing. If there's a great demand for something and there's only a limited supply, the price for that thing shoots up, right? It skyrockets. If there's only a few diamonds in the world and everybody wants them, there's going to have a very, very high price for those diamonds. Well, over in James chapter 4, verse 14, James says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James says that your lifetime is like a vapor. Have you ever gotten up in the morning, you look out and, and there's this foggy stuff rising off the grass. Hour later you go out there and the sun's coming. There it's gone. It was there for just a little while and it disappeared. And James says our life is like that. It's so short, it's so quick, and then it's over. And time is precious because it is so very short. Now, when you're young, you think, man, I'm going to be here forever. You know, it seems like 80 years old, man, that, that is so far removed from me. I can't even imagine how long that's going to be. But now that I'm 60, I'm looking back and then where did the time go? You know, that, that, that didn't seem like that long. And here I am, 60 years old. So I'm speaking from experience now. Now that I've got a, a few years under my belt, I can tell you things like this. And it's true. Time is a blip compared to eternity. It's nothing. It's a speck. And that's why we ought to esteem the time on this earth very precious. Edwards made this statement in his sermon. He said, time is so short and the work which we have to do in it so great that we have none of it to spare. Let me repeat that because I think that's an important statement. Time is so short and the work which we have to do in it is so great that we have none of it to spare. Three, time is precious because we are uncertain of its continuance. We know our time is short, but we don't know how short it is. Every single day could be our last day. We don't know. You get into a car and you drive somewhere, you don't know if you're going to arrive safely at your destination or whether somebody, a drunk driver, is going to sideswipe you and you're going to be in eternity before that trip is over. If a man goes on a journey on a camel through a desert, and he has one canteen full of water. 
and he doesn't know how long it's going to take him to cross the desert. Every single drop of water in his canteen is precious because he's unsure. He's unsure if that canteen full of water is going to enable him to get to the other side. So it's precious. He, he drinks as little as he possibly can so that he doesn't squander the amount. And it's precious because he doesn't know how long it will continue. Number four, time is precious because when it is gone, you can't get it back. There are many things in life that if you lose, there is the possibility that you can get it back. Let's say you lose your home. Well, through hard work and diligence, perhaps you can end up buying another home. You lose your job, okay? Through diligence, you can get another job. You lose your fortune. Well, through hard work and wise investing, you can gain that fortune back. But when it comes to time, there's nothing you can do to get it back. Once it's gone, it's gone. If a person lives 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years and hasn't improved their time, there's nothing they can do about it. The only thing they can do is wisely invest the last remaining years of their life. The past is gone. It's over. So time is precious because when it's gone, you can't recover it. Now, I think the simple truth is, saints, that many of us really don't consider time very precious. We just don't. And yet nothing is more precious. And yet there's nothing that we are more wasteful of. What would you think of a person who is as wasteful of his money as he is of his time? Every day he wakes up, he takes out a cigarette lighter, and he lights a $20 bill on fire. He does that every day. He just wastes his money. He just burns it up. You think, that guy is nuts. That guy's crazy. Well, what do you think of people who do that with their time? Every single day, they just light it on fire. They squander it. It's gone. They can never get it back. That's just as crazy as lighting your money on fire. Because I would say your time is even more valuable than your money. How valuable do you think people in hell consider time? They didn't think twice about the value of time while they lived, but now they do. How much would they give for just one moment of time in this world? How much would they pay to have one more day in this lifetime? They'd pay anything, anything they had in order to get another opportunity of time again. So time is precious. Consider that. Time is very, very precious. It's not something that we should consider lightly or squander easily. It's something that we should invest wisely as good stewards of God. Number two, I want you to remember that you are going to have to give an account to God for the use of your time. You will give an account to God. We will give an account to God for how we did all things in this lifetime. How we used the money and possessions that flowed through our hands. And what we did with the time God gave to us while we were on this earth. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture that will help us with this. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul writes and says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He says we've been bought with a price. Now, what's that price, saints? 
Jesus shed his blood to buy you, to purchase you. He owns you. You are his servants, his slaves. He, he possesses you. We are not our own to do with our bodies, our money, or our time as we will. I know that's hard to get to our minds and our heads. We don't naturally think biblically about this. But if we are servants of another, okay, and any servant of another person, he, he can't just do whatever he wants on his own time. Well, what would you think about a guy at, who at his job, he, he gets to work, he puts his feet up on the desk, he leans back and takes a nap for two hours. Then he wakes up and takes an hour coffee break. Then he goes on a two-hour lunch, and then he plays video games for the rest of the day. What's the, what, what's the boss going to do when he finds this guy? You're out of here, son. <laughs> I'm not paying you to twiddle your thumbs. But we do the same thing with our time. God is the boss. We are the servant. We're under orders to do certain things with our time. We, we can't just decide whatever we want to do. We're going to be fired by him, the boss. Let's look at Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. Matthew 12, 36. Jesus says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, I know this doesn't speak about time. It speaks about words. But I would say if it's true that we're going to give an accounting for every single idle word, I can't help but think we are also going to have to give an accounting for every idle time. Every time we've squandered the time where God gave us opportunities to do His will, and we said, no, Lord, I just don't think I'm going to do that right now. We'll give an account. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's look at another. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Peter says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? He talks about the time of your stay on earth. We're just staying for a while, but conduct yourselves in fear. Why would we conduct ourselves in fear during this time of your stay? <laughs> it's because verse 17 says we have a father who's going to impartially judge according to each one's work. So God has given us works to do during our time of stay on this earth. And our lives are made up of series of moments in which we did that work that God gave us to do. And so God is going to require us to give an account of what we did with the time allotted to us while we stayed on this earth. He's the judge. He's going to judge every man's work during this particular time, whether that time was one year or 90 years. It doesn't matter how long the span was. Were we faithful stewards to use the time God gave us during that period of time for his honor and his glory. Or we could turn, we don't need to turn there, but I'll, I'll just remind you of Luke chapter 19 where Jesus tells a parable of a nobleman who goes away on a long journey to receive a kingdom. But before he goes away on this journey, he 
summons 10 of his servants before him, and he allots them a portion of money. And the Bible is called a mina, but that was about $10,000 today. And he $10,000 and left on the journey, and he says, do business with this money until I get back. So when he comes back, he summons his slaves before him, and he says, so give me an accounting. What did you do with the money that I gave you? And one servant says, well, master, your one mina has made 10 minas more. Your $10,000 made you $100,000. Here you go. And the nobleman says to him, well done, good and faithful slave. I'm going to put you over 10 cities. He rewards him. Another servant says, master, my minas made five minas. My $10,000 brought in 50,000. He says, you shall be over five cities. And then he goes to one of the slaves, and that slave says, Master, I knew that you were an exacting man, and you reap where you do not sow. So what I did is I took your money, I put it in a handkerchief, and here you go. I'm going to give it all back to you. Mm. Do you remember what he, the nobleman says to that man? You wicked and worthless slave. Now, these, this comes from the lips of Jesus Christ. He called this man worthless. <laughs> worthless. <laughs> He was worthless because he didn't do anything with that which God and or the nobleman entrusted to him. Now, Jesus Christ is the nobleman. He's gone back to heaven. He's on a trip, but he's coming back again. And in the meantime, he's given us certain things to invest for his glory while he's away. And when he returns, he's going to exact an accounting of what we've done with the things he's given to us. And one of the most precious, maybe the most precious thing he has given to you is the time that you have while you're on this earth. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? Have you improved it? Have you been able to extend my kingdom with it? Have you been able to display my works with that time? The third thing I want to do this morning is I want you to choose carefully how you spend your time. Choose carefully how you spend your time. What do the scriptures have to say to us about how we should use our time? Let's look at some passages that will help us with this. First one is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 58. The last verse of this chapter, which is all about the resurrection from the dead, but it's a glorious verse. Paul is summing up. This is the end summary of all that he's been teaching about the resurrection. And he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So there we have it. He talks about the work of the Lord and that we are to always abound. Not just abound in it, that would be enough, but always be abounding in it. In other words, this is the main business of your life. Remember when Jesus was found in the temple when he was 12 years old? And he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He was abounding in the work of the Lord. His business, his life's goal was to fulfill, to accomplish the work that the father had given him to do. So the work of the Lord is how we should spend our time, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We have to decide what that work of the Lord is for us. What has God called you to do? What is the work's? He has given you to do. Another passage is John chapter 9 that we can look at here. John 9, verses 4 and 5. 
This is the, the setting here is the healing of the man who was born blind. But I just want to pull out verse 4 and 5 for you to meditate on. Jesus said in verse 4, John 9, 4, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, a couple of things you need to think about here. What does Jesus mean by day and what does he mean by night? Well, I think he explains it in verse 5. While I am in the world is parallel to verse 4, as long as it is day. In the world, as long as it is day. So day is, is parallel to our lifetime. Night would be parallel to the time when we are dead. We have no more opportunities to do God's works because he says, night is coming when no man can work. When you're dead, there's nothing you can do anymore. It, your opportunities are over. While you are in the world right now, this is the time of your stay on earth. This is the time. This is day. And we must work the works of him who called us while it is day, he's saying. Two words that I want you to think about. The word we and the word must. Jesus didn't say, I must work the works of him. He said, we must. He's including us in this sentence. We, that's you and me, all of us. We must work the works of him who sent us as long as it is day. The second word is must. He elevates this to a very high importance. We must do it. We must work the works of him who called us while it is day. We must, we must, we must do this. It's not optional. It's not something you can cast to the side. This is something that is imperative that Jesus lays upon not only him, but all who follow him. One more, Math, or Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 31. We're trying to discover from the scriptures, how does God want us to use our time? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 speaks about always abounding in the work of the Lord. John 9, verses 4 and 5, talks about doing the works of the one who called us. Look at Mark 12, 28 to 31. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. How should we use our time? According to Jesus, the two greatest commandments that there are are to love God and love other people. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and everything you have, and then love other people in this world, just like you loved yourself, which is too much. <laughs> right? <laughs> too much. So I would submit to you a very simple way of understanding how we are to use our time. We use our time by loving God and loving people. Those are the works God has called you to do. That's how you abound in the work of the Lord. You love God and you love people. Pretty simple, right? 
Now, if you're spending your time loving yourself, it doesn't qualify. Right. Love God, love people. Now, I realize there are many things that we all have to do with our time every day just to survive in this world, right? We all have to have a job. We need money to pay our bills, pay for our homes, our food. We have to prepare and eat meals, cleaning house, doing laundry, taking care of our children, shopping, running errands, and we do need some time in there to sleep as well, right? Okay, but even after subtracting time for all of those things, I would say practically every single one of us in this room still has time left over. Okay, 40, maybe 50 hours for your job. You've got 168 to start with. So subtract your 40 or 50. You've still got 148 or 138 hours left. Subtract seven or eight hours a night for sleep. And most of you, a lot of you don't even get that much, but let's say seven hours a night. <laughs> That's 56. You still got about 80 hours in the week left. About half of your time is still left over after sleep and after work. Now, of course, you have other errands and things and responsibilities you have to do. But when we say, I just don't have time to do the works of God, folks, that's a lie. And we all know it <laughs> because everybody's got time. We just decide how we're going to use it. The truth is we don't want to spend our time doing this. We would rather use our time doing that. But we can't say we don't have the time because all of us have the same amount of time available to all of us. And we end up doing what we really want with our time. That's just the bottom line. I think one of the idols, the greatest idols in America today is the idol of um, entertainment or amusement. And all of us are guilty of this we, because we live in this world and it has, it has infected all of us, uh, technology especially. I mean, you, you know, you all know. It used to be, okay, when I was growing up, we didn't have smartphones. And so people actually went outside and played games. They actually played basketball and baseball and football. They would actually go to restaurants and talk to each other. And now you go to a restaurant and they're all looking at their phone. Uh, the world's gone crazy. Uh, we have not learned how to discipline the use of technology today. And our desire to be constantly amused, constantly entertained, is like consuming our culture today. I mean, video games. I, I know, we just had a company party, and my, my, my employees were telling me what they spend all their money on that I give them. It's new video games. And, and once they get one, they will play that thing for 24 hours or 48 hours straight without going to sleep. They're obsessed with this game. Or if they get off work, they'll play four or five hours, and they'll say, oh, I don't play much. I just play four or five hours a day. Like, what? That's not very much? What else do you do with your time, man? But, but we, we have this this obsession with wanting to be entertained and amused TV and Netflix and video games and your hobbies or whatever it is. Uh, let's go back a hundred or 200 years to America. I don't think life was the same back then. There wasn't this obsession about having to be entertained constantly and go back to Jonathan Edwards day. You know, there was no TV. There was no Netflix. There was no cell phones. Uh, People would get together to talk and to visit and maybe play music or sing or something like that. But that was the extent of their entertainment back then. Or maybe draw if they like to draw pictures. <laughs> but it was pretty simple. So I believe one of the things that we must do, and this is where exhortation comes in. If you are guilty of procrastination this morning, is that we need to repent of procrastination. 
Procrastination is putting off the distasteful tasks and replacing them with things we would rather do. <laughs> putting off things that we should do and replacing them with things that we want to do. Okay, that's procrastination. And we think this is going to eliminate stress from our life because you don't have to think about it. I'll just forget about that. I will pretend that doesn't even exist over here and I'll do the thing I want to do. Well, that only increases your stress because that thing never goes away and it just keeps building up and building up. And then you find more and more pressure on you until finally you just say, I'm I can't handle this. <laughs> it only increases stress. I want to tell you a little story that I think is really, it's sharp, it's, it's really good. It's a story of a man by the name of Ivy Lee. And he was a consultant, a management consultant in the early 1900s. He went to a man by the name of Charles Schwab, who was the president of Bethlehem Steel. And Charles Schwab, the president of the steel company, said, I'll be glad to listen to you if you can show me a way to get more things done. And if it works, I'll pay you whatever you ask within reason. So Ivy Lee went to him and he says, okay, I have got a method whereby I, I know that you can increase your efficiency by 50%. He says, write down the most important things you have to do tomorrow. So Schwab did as he was requested. It took about five minutes. He wrote all the things down that he had to get done tomorrow. Then he says, now number them in the order of their true importance. And then he said, the first thing tomorrow morning Start working on item number one. Stay with it until it's completed. Then take item number two the same way. Then number three and so on. Don't worry if, if you don't complete everything on the schedule. At least you will have completed the most important projects before getting to the less important ones. Every working day, after you have convinced yourself of the value of this system, have your men try it. Try it as long as you like and then send me your check for whatever you think the idea is worth. You're saying, man, that is so simple, so easy, but who does that? So Schwab tried it, and he ended up sending Ivy Lee a check for $25,000, which would have been worth $250,000 in today's currency. I want to encourage you, if you struggle with procrastinating, do this. Make yourself a list every morning, Number it as to its importance for the day. Start on the most important one and keep on it until it's finished and then go to number two. And you will become more efficient, get more done, and you'll be more satisfied at the end of your day with the things that you've been able to accomplish that day. Schwab said that this was the most profitable lesson he ever learned. <laughs> such a simple one, but such a profound one. It turned his small little steel company into one of the largest steel producers in the country and Schwab into a multimillionaire. A procrastinator will not follow that advice. So repent of procrastination because it's wasting the time that God has given you and squandering on less important things instead of the more important things. Okay, another exhortation. I want you right now in your mind to identify your biggest time wasters. What are they? Do you guys know what they are? Just does it come to you like this? This is what I'm wasting my time on? Might be TV, video games, social media, Netflix, YouTube, hobbies that you have. 
whatever that is, remember, remember that the goal is spending your time to love God and love people. So social media may not be a time waster if you use social media to love God and to love people. If you're on social media because you want to love people, by spreading the gospel or spreading words of scripture or loving other people in some way, then it's not a time waster. But if you're doing that just because you want to be amused and entertained, and this is a way, you know, just to spend your time, that's probably a time waster. That's good. That's good. So identify right now in your mind your biggest one or two time wasters, because those are the things the Lord wants you to deal with for 2020. Here's another one, and then make the best use of your time. But how? I've come up with some ideas just to wet your whistle. This isn't an exhaustive list. This is just an, a list of things that came to me, and maybe you'll think of other things that will be helpful to you, but this is just to get the juices flowing, okay? Number one, seek to increase your enjoyment of God. If we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, seek to increase your enjoyment of God in 2020. And the through the Word of God and prayer. Those are the two things connect with Him, to enjoy Him. So, if you are not in the habit of reading Scripture daily, that needs to be a priority for you in 2020. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. That's the way God is designed for His people to connect with Him. It's through His truth. So, become someone that starts every day in the Word of God, before you go off to work, before you eat your breakfast, before you do anything, you're spending time with the Lord and His Word. Learn to meditate on that, which means you don't just read it quickly, shut your Bible and get on with your day, but you think about what you're reading. That's what meditation is, it's thinking about. You might go back and read it over again, read it over a third time. The cool thing is that we're choosing portions in our Bible reading for 2020 that are not huge, long, two and three and four chapters. It's like a half a chapter most of the time. In the epistles, it's going to be about 15 to 20, 25 verses, which is manageable so that we can take the time to really think about what we're reading. So meditate on that. Talk to God about the thing he's just shown you in his word. That's the best way to pray is, okay, Lord, you just talked to me. Now I'm going to talk to you about what you just said. Help me to put this into practice today, Lord. Help me to apply what you've just shown me. And then spend time in worship, singing, shouting if you want, praising him, offering verbal thanks and, and gratitude and, and praise and honor to God. Worship should be part of your life every day. So discipline yourself and carve this into your daily schedule. Make this a non-negotiable for you. Another idea for you to consider, pray earnestly for the salvation of others. Are there people on your heart that are lost that you want the Lord to save? Spend some of your time in the year 2020 by praying earnestly for those people's salvation. Make a list. Have a little prayer list that you keep by your desk or wherever you go and pull it down and then after you've spent time just glorying in God and praising God and talking about what he's talked to you from the word, start interceding and earnestly interceding for people's salvation that you know. Number three, serve the body of Christ, your local church. For you, that would be this church, the bridge. Come 
on Sunday mornings with the intention that you are going to encourage and serve other people. That is so huge. And I think most of us don't remember to do that. We don't prepare during the week. We're not thinking, Lord, how can you use me this Sunday? Give me something this week so that I can do this, Lord, when we gather on Sunday. We're dependent upon our pastors to encourage us. But God wants the whole body to encourage the whole body. And that means that you have a vital ministry to play when we gather on Sundays. God wants to use all of his people to encourage his people. So that's one way, is by being prepared to come with something to share to encourage the church. But there's many other ways, by bringing food to share, preparing food. That's a way you can serve the church. By being involved in the children's ministry on Sunday. By preparing a meal for someone who's sick in the church. Or like Layla, she just had a baby, and so many of you got involved in helping to serve their, their family. Um, what, does one idea come to mind about what is the one way that you could really encourage your brothers and sisters here at the bridge in the year 2020? What can you do to change your life to be a greater encouragement to the people of this church? Think on that. Number four, meet with another younger brother or sister in the Lord regularly and pour your life into them. We call this discipleship. Find somebody who needs your help and then start meeting with them regularly. And if there is nobody that you know of, just ask the Lord. Lord, would you show me if there's somebody that you want me to pour my life into? And then you make time for that person. Make time for them. Some of you are doing this and it's really wonderful to see. But many more of us could do it. Number five, make time in your schedule to intentionally bring the gospel to lost people. See, if we just kind of leave this up for grabs as well, when the Spirit moves me, I'll witness. It's going to happen very, very rarely. That's why I think times like last Sunday when we intentionally decided that we're going to go out as a church to share the gospel are so valuable. And I think we ought to be carving out time for evangelism, for witnessing, for sharing the good news with other people, especially if it's not happening very often in our day-to-day lives due to our circumstances. Well, let's make some time for that because God has called every Christian to make disciples of all the nations and to preach the gospel to all creation. Number six, come up with a plan to get to know your neighbors, to show Christ's love to them. So I think Jerome had a cool idea. He was going to take the candy canes and tracks and go around to his neighbors and give them to them. Uh, we've tried to do pancake breakfast and invite all our neighbors over on a Saturday morning to have pancakes and get to know them. I guess what I'm really saying is we need to get out of ourselves, which we're too preoccupied with, and think about the tremendous needs all around us and the call of God upon us and how can we love him greater and how can we love people more with the time that he's given to us during our stay upon this earth. Number seven, serve by volunteering at some place like a local mission or a prison or jail ministry or preparing care packages to people who are on homeless, are on the corners with their signs saying, you know, anything will help, homeless. There is a time here in the church where we actually assembled those pack, packages. And of course, that was a long time ago, and we need to do that again. I still have them. Do you? <laughs> There's a whole bag of them in there. 
Maybe after church we can get them out because I'd like to take a few in my truck so I have something to give away. Or, and when those are gone, do it again so that we are we're trying to minister to people, the poor around us. But what about rest? Don't we ever get a chance to rest? Well, the Bible does talk about resting. In the Old Testament, they called it a Sabbath, one day in seven. The thing is, though, we forget that God didn't just command them to rest. He did command them to labor for six days. He said, six days you shall labor. <laughs> so we forget about that and just remember the one day, the Sabbath day, that they're supposed to rest. But yeah, they were to take one in seven to rest. Their body needed that rest. They needed that time to recuperate. How much time should we rest? Jonathan Edwards in his sermon put it like this. I think this is wise. Edward said, diversion should be used only in subserviency to business. So much and no more should be used as does most fit the mind and body for the work of our general and particular callings. Do you know what he's saying? Let me read it again. Diversion, by diversion he means things other than working for the Lord or working in life. Diversion should be used only in subserviency to business. It means underneath, to support the, the, the work that God has called you to do. So much and no more should be used as does most fit the mind and body for the work of our general and particular callings. In other words, yes, you can rest when your body and mind need to rest in order to fulfill the calling God has for you, then you need to rest until you have been filled up again with the strength and energy you need to go back and do the thing God has called you to do. Jesus took his disciples occasionally and they went away to a secluded spot and they, they rested from other people. So resting is not a sin. Resting is part of life. We sleep every day. We're resting. One day in seven, the Israelites rested. But let's make sure that rest doesn't become our all-consuming obsession that we just want to do nothing or we just want to entertain ourselves, or we want to be amused, or we just want to be all this media being pumped into us constantly. Let's make sure that when we do this, we are controlled and disciplined about it, and it serves a greater thing. The greater thing is, what has God called you to do in life? That's really the issue. What, what does God want me to be doing with my lifetime? And that really comes down to, what, how has He gifted you? I think the Lord has gifted me with... with teaching, teaching the scriptures. And so I know part of my life needs to be poured into a study of the scriptures so I can teach that. But you need to figure out, okay, what, what gift has God called you or given you and called you to do? And then that's going to require time for you to, to invest yourself in using that gift. You might be thinking at this point in the message, whoa, Brian, I've been wasting God's time all my life. I've been absorbed in entertainment. I have neglected using my time to love God and love people. Well, the good news is that God, God's grace is plenteous and abundant, and He will forgive and cleanse you, but you do need to come to Him and repent this morning. You do need to turn from that. You need to recognize, first of all, that it was wrong, that it's sinful to waste your time, and then you need to come to Him and ask for forgiveness, and ask him to direct you on how he would have you to spend the time he has given you for your remaining time on the earth.
It's really simple, but God is gracious and merciful and his, his blood covers our sins. We are cleansed through the blood of Christ through the gospel today. So I just want to, I want to exhort all of us, myself included, before we do what we do, let's just ask ourselves, Lord, what would you have me do right now? What is it that you want me to do? That's really, really what it comes down to. The servant does his master's will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us are guilty, I think. Probably everyone in this room is guilty of this sin of wasting and squandering the time that you have allotted to us. And in ways, Lord, we have not been good stewards. And so we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray you'd forgive us and we pray that you would enable us and help us, Lord, to change the direction, the habit patterns of our life in 2020. We pray that you would enable us to be good stewards of the time that you have allotted to us. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom to know how much time we should spend in diversions, hobbies, interests, resting, that kind of thing, in order that we can fulfill our general and particular callings. Lord, you do have callings on all of our lives to do something in this world, just like you called Jesus and you gave him a work. And he said to you that he had accomplished the work that you gave him to do. He was ready to go. Lord, I pray that when we die, we can say the same thing. Help us, Lord. Give us your grace, Lord, that this might not just be mind candy, truth coming in and then flowing out as fast as it came in, but it would stick. Lord, cause the truth to stick and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen.